the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, February 13th, 2023. There's a lot going on. So anything on your mind, you feel free to give us a call. 602-508-0960. I think I'll get to all the big things in just a few moments. You've heard me say, especially routinely last week, that our new majorities, congressional majorities, use of their committee chairmanships by holding hearings on government wrongdoing is hugely important but only hugely important if they turn out to matter. And to matter, they have to be appreciated. And to be appreciated, they have to be known or at least known about. Immediately, the problem becomes who will do the dissemination, who will do the making known part. It's an immediate problem because of a haunting question a friend of mine keeps asking me about media bias and government ideologicalization, which is, is this the worst it's ever been here? You know, the New York Times and Washington Post, which made their bones in the modern era by investigating presidents like Richard Nixon and subsequently the FBI, CIA overreach and violations of their charters and the U.S. Constitution. Well, they've gone to sleep on those bones. They buried them because they were not telling us the truth about anything from speaking truth to power, keeping the government accountable or even that democracy dies in darkness. What they have told us is truth to power, keeping the government accountable and democracy dying in darkness only matters when Republicans are in charge. If Democrats are in charge, they bury the bones. You may recall on a far less nefarious thing than anything we've seen for the past eight years or so, but it's illustrative, the story about Bill Clinton when he was president, lying about an affair in a civil rights lawsuit against him. The story about all that was spiked by the Washington Post. They had it. They buried it. They killed it. That's what spiking means in the journalist world. It was exposed by a guy named Matt Drudge, and the Internet went from nearly zero to nearly everything nearly overnight. You will equally recall it was CBS that doctored an election year story about President George W. Bush and his National Guard service, and no other media in the legacy or mainstream wanted to investigate the complaints or in, uh, of that story. It took something called Powerline to do that. Democrats have a built-in investigative prophylactic. Look at the Columbia Journalism Review's expose about the New York Times and other media in crafting and creating and doubling down on the Russian collusion and anti-Donald Trump story and narrative. Who's calling out the major media for working hand-in-glove with the Hillary Clinton campaign to perpetuate a hoax on the electorate and then the presidency of our last Republican president. Who's calling him out other than that one series in the Colombian Journalism Review? It should be the cause of major self-reflection, if not apology. It was a hoax that dominated the entire presidency of Donald Trump, where the smoking gun turned out to be an invention, where the always and continuously promised walls closing in never did close in because they were made of thin wax. 
So is this the worst time there is for these kinds of political and ideological steamrollers? Propaganda? One usually goes back to think about the McCarthy, McCarthy era when thinking about these things. The general narrative, of course, is that Senator Joe McCarthy of Wisconsin led charges against communists infiltrating the State Department, Hollywood, the media. The general narrative is he was unbent and unrestrainable in that people began to fear for their jobs, their livelihoods, if they were suspected of having communist sympathies or affiliations. Some people in Hollywood actually did get blacklisted and had to find work by working under pseudonyms. That fear was known and is generally known through the above narrative as McCarthyism or the McCarthy era. The truth is there was about as much anti-McCarthy sentiment as there was anti-communist sentiment. And to many, too many, McCarthy was seen as the greater threat compared to communism in America. This led to the famous quip by Irving Kristol that what the American people know is one thing about Senator Joe McCarthy and that that is he is an anti-communist. About his detractors and critics in the American liberal community, they know no such thing. But taking the indictment against Joe McCarthy at its fullest, taking it arguendo, here is why it's worse now. At least then, the press, at least to them, was doing its job in investigating Joe McCarthy. The media had a healthy skepticism about government leaders, again, though, I guess only if they were Republicans, as McCarthy, of course, was. Edward Murrow is best known today and was celebrated at the time for exposing Joe McCarthy. In his most famous broadcast, perhaps the most famous news broadcast in journalism history until the Kennedy assassination, Murrow said of McCarthy's anti-communism committee, quote, No one familiar with the history of this country can deny that congressional committees are useful. It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one, and the junior senator from Wisconsin has stepped over it repeatedly. His primary achievement has been in confusing the public mind, and we must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. Close quote. Powerful words, those. Now think about the media coverage of any committee hearings from last week. All they did was ape and take every jot and tittle of the January 6th committee the journalists did, of course, when that was active and that was useful going into an election. The January 6th committee hearings? Oh, yeah. They covered those to a fairly well. About last week's hearings on government interference with social media like Twitter, especially about censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story in the New York Post or censoring alternative views on COVID transmission prevention. About those hearings, not even really criticism, just silence. And it's not as if it's even an election year. But I want you to think about Edward Murrow's last words and his most famous words in his broadside and broadcast against Joe McCarthy. It was even the subject of an award-winning movie directed by George Clooney. This is what Murrow said on his CBS broadcast in 1954. Quote, We must remember always that accusation is not proof and that conviction depends upon evidence and due process of law. We will not walk in fear one another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine and remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to speak, to associate, 
and to defend causes that were, for the moment, unpopular. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods, methods to keep silent or for those who approve. We can deny our heritage and our history, but we cannot escape responsibility for the result. There is no way for a citizen of a republic to abdicate his responsibilities that takes us down that road. As a nation, we have come into our full inheritance at a tender age. We proclaim ourselves, as indeed we are, the defenders of freedom, wherever it continues to exist, but we cannot defend freedom abroad if we desert it at home. Close quote. He said a lot there, but focus for a moment on these words I quoted. Quote, we will not walk in fear, one another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine and remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to speak, to associate, and to defend causes that were, for the moment, unpopular. Close quote. Okay, I think we all could agree with that. And it may be unpopular to support Republicans, or it may have been unpopular to support Donald Trump from 2016 to 2021, let us say. But was not the notion of a foreign power like Russia in electing a U.S. president in 2016 and in creating a story about his opponent's family in 2020 not the most pellucidly, if not transparently clear, example of a campaign of fear? Like a Russian plant as our president and a Russian intelligence campaign against his opponents? What about the COVID censorship? Was it not all against those who said things like, let's calm down just a bit? Let's not rush to paranoia and living in fear of one another? The very things Merle warned about? I always like how Hugh Holman put it, change everything fast because there's a virus coming at us that 99% of us will survive. Well, it was 99% of the cases. It was actually higher across our entire population. So why it's worse now than in the 1950s is because of the question, where is Edward Murrow or CBS with the same exact things you could say these exact same things today? Where is CBS and the rest now on anything this is done to when the target is not invented or perhaps invented communists, but invented fascists? Where are the standing ovations for these reporters taking all those hoaxes on? They're not at Sardis. Nobody at CBS or the rest of the industry or Sardis gives a damn. Because as Peggy Noonan put it last year, quote, mainstream journalism has changed. Journalists felt they had a different job than they used to, to oppose Republicans. But that very opposition left them not reporting any longer, but becoming what only some of them wanted to be, openly activist and of the left. This, too, contributed to polarization. People who more or less used to trust them to throw the ball straight no longer do, and they find other news sources, some of which are indeed specious. Close quote. In the famous Pentagon Papers case, Hugo Black wrote this, quote, The press was to serve the governed, not the governors. The government's power to censor the press was abolished so that the press would remain forever free to censure the government. The press was protected so that it could bear the secrets of government and inform the people. Only a free and unrestrained press can effectively expose deception in government. And paramount among the responsibilities of a free press is the duty to prevent any part of the government from deceiving 
the people, close quote. I truly believe Hugo Black meant that about Republicans just as well as Democrats. Today's media, which studies the Pentagon Papers, does not. So when we think about what the media routinely complains about, a war against it or our general polarized society, I can do no better than to quote the ending of that famous Edward Murrow broadcast. Whose fault is this? Not really McCarthy's. He didn't create the situation of fear. He merely exploited it. Cassius was right. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. So whose fault is this? Not really Donald Trump's or Jim Jordan's or James Comer's or Elon Musk's. The media needs to take a deep look at themselves and realize what Shakespeare wrote. The fault is not in the stars of the Republican Party or conservatism, but in yourselves. In the meantime, those hearings exposing what they all did will only matter if the fault is not in ourselves in refusing to get them around and disseminate them. They did not need any help in the faulty and partisan January 6th hearings. Those got around quite easily because anti-Republican. The hearings last week, led by Republicans, exposing censorship of public health information in favor of paranoia and fear and panic and rushed judgments from the government to the private sector. The hearings last week of the government trying to censor legitimate and accurate political news, even if it would help Republicans and hurt Democrats, exposed deep violations of the ethics Murrow spoke of, ethics that run to the heart of free and fair elections, efforts that run to the heart of the First Amendment. And those hearts, I submit, are the most important organs in our body politic. That's also why it's worse now. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says an advertisement or two under the theme, He Gets Us during the Super Bowl, and that invokes Jesus' teachings, especially about loving one another and one another's enemies, is, in her words, an effort to make fascism look benign. These comments of hers got repeated everywhere. I'm not sure if she knows less about the Bible or less about fascism at this point. But I do get why a socialist, a self-proclaimed and a proud one, would be so stridently anti-religion. After all, it was Karl Marx who taught religion is the opiate of the masses, back in a day and time when opiates were seen as tranquilizers, if not poisons, or at a minimum, dangerous. What rot she speaks. The effort to denude the public square of all religion has been the project of the left for some time here, and it has made massive headway. Church attendance is today, after all, at its lowest level in American history. Are things better? As a result, I wonder if AOC, if AOC counts herself in favor of civil rights. Would she disagree with every sermon Martin Luther King Jr. or Jesse Jackson gave? Would she disagree with Jesse Jackson's invocations of God at Democratic Party conventions? The answer is she probably would, to be fair. But if Jesse Jackson is too extreme a right winger for you or engaging in fascism to you by invoking God and civil rights, my guess is you are the problem and your view is clouded by parallax or idiocy or possibly just a radical ideology. 
I'm guessing she'd have problems with the likes of Patrick Mahomes bending his knee in prayer on the gridiron. Turns out, though, Mahomes and probably pretty much every other football player understands public prayer and is and its deep and important relationship to football, never mind America, and they probably understand it better than AOC. In his farewell address to the nation, George Washington said, quote, Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizen. The mere politician, equally with the pious man, ought to respect and to cherish them, close quote. Thomas Jefferson, when he was president, would attend Christian services taking place in the Capitol itself, in the Hall of the House of Representatives, and he would ask Congress to provide financial aid to the Kaskaskia Indians in order to support their Catholic priest. Football and Christianity have a long history. It goes back to the founding of the game. Just as America and Christianity have a long history that goes back to the founding of this country. And was it not a month ago? Every sports writer and cultural critic and observer and seemingly everyone else was praising the prayer circle that formed after DeMar Hamlin's cardiac arrest? I wonder if AOC opposes or opposed that. Someone ought to ask her. By the way, those football players from both teams they weren't forming a circle and taking their knees to recite Karl Marx's critique of Frederick Hegel. I understand some don't like it, but there'd be no America any more than there would be civil rights any more than there would be football in America without these fealties. And maybe, just maybe, giving Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez her due, that is, after all and at the end of the day, what she really wants. Just a few thoughts on that. It's a lot more. We're going to talk to Brandon Weikert uh, in our third hour about this passel of uh, space invasions. I don't know why <laughs> space air invasions. That's the better way to put it. This passel of air invasions, invasions of our air space. Get the language right. The invasions of our air space. We'll talk to Brandon Weikert about all of this. Interesting as to why the administration is being so vague in a time when we're told not to overexcite and give anxiety and fear. Why is the administration being so opaque about these things? Why is it giving credence to some of our worst fears? Well, I submit it's probably because the truth is worse than the fiction here. The truth is probably, when it comes out, going to make the leadership of our national and our air defenses look really, really malfeasant. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. It's a great website. He also has his own radio show. You can hear it right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. He's an early bird, just like me. How are you, John? Fantastic, Seth. How you doing? I'm good. I, I am an early bird. Um, and you, you are. are too, but the difference between <laughs> us is, you know, I, I, I think I wake up with about a 100 
point IQ and lose a point every hour. You don't. I mean, you get you you wake up early, raring to go, and you keep going strong. Uh, well, yeah. I fade. I do fade towards the end of the day. Yeah, but your end yeah. of the day is like midnight. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, hey, how about those uh, Chiefs? What a, what a game! Wow. Yes, and you know what's interesting about all the uh, all the uh, all the hullabaloo about the Super Bowl and yeah. all the big build up. Is what you and I just said about it over the last thirty seconds will probably be the last thing said yes. about it yeah, forever. Probably. I, I mean, it's just unless like, you live in Kansas City. Uh, maybe then you get another day. Yeah. Maybe maybe another day. Mm-hmm. There was an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal today that kind of picked up on something we were talking a little bit about last week, and I wondered if you might say a word about it. Biden's stock buyback tax right. would hit the little guy. That's the thrust of this article. Yeah, I, I mean, we talked about buybacks mm-hmm. and what the purpose of buybacks are, and if it is if it's a good, is it bad? And and you know what it really does is it does give some shareholder value uh, when a company buys back their stock because it reduces the uh, number of shares that are out there, and therefore uh, the value of that company, you know, per share usually goes up. So when you see a company announcing that they're going to be buying back stock, usually you start to see that be a positive for the stock price. Mm-hmm. So there you – in that – just in that basic you know, uh, premise, on that basic premise, it's good for shareholders. Right. And shareholders are the average people out there. Mm-hmm. You know, m- many people own stock. Uh, so when they talk about uh, starting to tax this more on the uh, side of the companies who are buying back the stock – that's going to change their thought process. It's going to change, uh, you know, maybe the number of shares that they're going to buy back or possibly eliminate buybacks in some cases, mm-hmm. which ultimately does hurt the average person out there, the average shareholder. So uh, I know they think. That and even is, those who don't think they own stock because right. they're not investing in the stock market the way, you know, a lot of other people who are actively engaged are, mm-hmm. right? We're talking retirees. Yes. Or, 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 I mean, people in the public employment system, that kind of thing. All, yeah, because companies that, you know, have pensions, they right. invest in those things, yeah. right? And that helps the returns on those investments. Right. So, yeah, it is a trickle. This is a trickle down scenario that affects everybody if they were to raise this. Uh, taxes, but on the other side of this too is is that they think or they're trying to project that it's gonna it's gonna only affect uh, you know corporations. Yeah. But that's just not the case, and uh, I think that that is where uh, there's got to be someone else out there that's going to be talking about this and hopefully giving uh, you know some more clarity on what it ultimately is going to do. I don't know if this is really going to go anywhere because of the uh, the current scenario in Washington with the uh, the House and Senate uh, not all being uh, Democrats. So I, I don't. But really I do know think they're going to bash us over the head with it. Uh, 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 not speaking for you, but us, right. me, meaning uh, Republicans. Yeah. I think they're going to say that we're standing in the way. When the truth is, the way the system works currently, as the Tax Foundation report, firms that engage in this behavior, stock buybacks, tend to outperform their peers. Right? Absolutely. And and that is, again, where I had said you start mm-hmm. to see as buybacks are announced, you start to see the price of that stock in many cases rise. Right. Which, again, is is all about, you know, we're looking for growth. We're looking to build our Abs- net worth in retirement. Absolutely. All of those things are important. Dividends is another way for companies to give back sure. to, to uh, you know, investors. Uh, so you may see dividends coming in on a, uh, you know, whether it's quarterly or, or uh, biannually, where you'll get a dividend from the stock that's profit to the company, and rather than then holding on to it, they they give it back to the shareholders, or they may take that money and buy back shares, which indirectly is increasing your ownership in a company. So 
Um, there's and, and, absolute... and again, if you're part of a public employee re- retirement system, as a lot of mm-hmm. them are, this is where they're invested. This is where they're investing. So there is real value to investors when buybacks occur. Mm-hmm. And so to put, try to stifle that, uh, I, I think that there's probably different, better ways that, that the government can look at maybe trying to raise tax revenue than trying to do this, which will ultimately hurt everyone. I like the last line of this uh, piece in the Wall Street Journal, a policy that distorts corporate decision making and interferes with the movement and investment capital would harm the economy and weaken the country's retirement system. Not exactly. something we're looking to do, right? Not now. something we're looking to no. do. But, uh, <laughs> there may be some that are. Yeah, maybe. Thank yes. you, buddy. All right. Securities and advisory nice. services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finrod Sipicon, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Check out our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, John. Yep. And I'm here at 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I was listening to um, Dennis Prager talking uh, this morning about this piece Heather MacDonald has uh, over at the City Journal on the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, I don't know if you uh, if you heard it yet or not, Bill, but uh, the New York Met has transformed itself from a museum of Western culture into a, an institution of propaganda, not unlike that Smithsonian project on whiteness. By the way, you know that project still exists. You can still see it at the Museum of African American History as you can online. All they did was take down the chart over at the Smithsonian. Remember that offensive chart? You might just be white if you, what? What? Do you remember what some of it was? Delay gratification, promptness, yeah, go to church regularly, uh, have an intact family. I mean, it was really just awful, awful stuff. Um, And also showing that these values, if not virtues, really is probably the better word for them, aren't universal. They're just the category of one racial group. And they didn't even include or say racial groups that do it better than white racial groups. They, they, why didn't they just do? Why didn't they do it on Asians? Why didn't they have a project on Asians? Um, but to deny any category of human being these universal standards of excellence and achievement seems to me its own version of some kind of reverse racism. Or soft bigotry at best. At best, soft bigotry. In any event, um, the New York Met is now in the game, and Heather MacDonald uh, is talking about and is talking about it in a recent piece at City Journal. You're going to want to read it. In some, for example, 19th century French sculptor Jean Baptiste Carpeau's bust of a black woman bound in rope is explained by the Met. As the sculptor's glorification of white dominion over black people's bodies, and it goes on from there. Um, interestingly enough, um, that is not what the intention was. That was not what the design of any of this was. It reminded me something that something that really tugs as I was listening to Dennis talk about it. I don't, it's it's not really 
one of the more visited sites in Washington, D.C. I wish it were. It's really one of the most beautiful. It's known as the um, it, the Emancipation Memorial. It used to be known as the Freedmen's Memorial, uh, dedicated to Abraham Lincoln in 1876. Um, one of the most uh, beautiful things said about Abraham Lincoln, I quoted actually a little bit last week from when Frederick Douglass spoke at its dedication. And it's a beautiful memorial to Abraham Lincoln. And, of course, Frederick Douglass's words are nothing short of American poetry and the best American poetry, which is to say the best poetry anywhere. Go back and read what he what he said about Lincoln might do well for the folks at Disney to read it. That was the point in which I was raising Frederick Douglass's comments about it. But why am I talking about that memorial today in context of what Heather MacDonald wrote? Well, first of all, that statue, that memorial in Washington, D.C. to Abraham Lincoln was actually funded and put together by freed slaves, by freed slaves. They so wanted to honor Abraham Lincoln, even though Disney tells you he had nothing to do with slaves' freedom. Um, And there is an effort to tear down, take down this memorial. There was an effort during the 2020 protests. It had to be fenced off to keep rioters from taking it down. And there is an effort that was led by D.C. It's sometimes known as the D.C. congressman, but really officially the D.C. delegate, Eleanor Holmes Norton, introducing legislation to remove this memorial. They take everything, really, um, with such an ahistorical understanding and such a surface understanding of art, memory, statuary, memorials generally. They take such a surface view of them without looking at what they really stand for and what they really represent because the whim of the day is to take it down. What was it Marx liked to quote from Goethe so often, or Goethe, I guess is the way to pronounce it, so often, G-O-E-T-H-E. I I say it so you know what I'm talking about, the way it's spelled, but it is spelled Goethe. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't do that. I should just say Goethe, like Wagner, right? Anyway, um, they, uh, what was it Marx, Marx was so fond of quoting? It was, the, it was the quote he used the most. Everything that exists must be destroyed. Everything that exists must be destroyed. Of course, he only meant everything good that exists must be destroyed. And that would be um, explanatory as to why the riots of 2020, riots, I don't care about peaceful protests. Peaceful protests should be encouraged. I'm talking about the riots of 2020, which were washed away, whitewashed to be called peaceful protests, peaceful protests that killed 30 people and burnt down down buildings and police took over police precincts and led to the resignations and early retirements of dozens of police leaders across the country. I, I asked earlier if we're a better country. If we're a better country now, having achieved a low watermark of church attendance, are we a better country? Are we a safer country? Or are we a less crime-ridden country as a result of that chirivery against law enforcement 
and police. But you now understand why it could be a Marxist group under a leadership of self-declared trained Marxists like Patrice Coulours that would go about destroying statues, that would go about rioting and destroying businesses, $2 billion worth of damage beyond the 30 people killed. You now understand when the notion is to destroy all that exists and destroy all that is good, that some of this is very much intentional. Some of it is very much intentional, and I fear while we Republicans are probably beginning to grasp and understand it, too few Democrats do, which is why when I was speaking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's statements about Christianity representing fascism in the Super Bowl ads, that it might be from a place of ignorance, but it might also be a place of actual serious intent in the sense that, you know, if you're trying to unwind all the cultural bindings of America and all the virtuous bindings that keep America safe, never mind great, if you're trying to unwind and unbind all of that, maybe that really is your reason. Maybe that really is. You take down the binding so that you can take down that which it's supposed to keep strong. And think about your IRA. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? You can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Um, yeah, John Hinderocker uh, has a great piece at Powerline. And more and more of this is going to be coming out. Uh, we've tried to do our best to uh, expose it. But you kind of have to do your research to find it. The stories come and go when they do get printed without much focus. His post is from yesterday titled, Why Do Liberals Hate Children? He writes, the last few years have been brutal for young people. Schools closed and activities shut because of COVID. Widely available fentanyl due largely to our open southern border, constant racial attacks, especially on white, car, white children, bizarre gender confusion and hysteria over global, global warming have had devastating effects. No wonder suicide, depression and overdose deaths are spiking. Drug overdose deaths among those aged 10 to 19 more than doubled between 2019 and 2021. According to uh, the study, mo median monthly overdose deaths among persons aged 10 to 19 years increased 109% from July-December 2019 to July-December 21. Deaths involving illicitly manufactured fentanyl increased 182%. Suicide attempts among children and adolescents are up nearly 40% compared to other age groups. Children and adolescents had seven times the rate of increase in suicide ideation and six times the rate of increase in suicide attempts from 2020 to 2021. In addition, they were the only age group that showed a rise in suicide attempts from 2019 through the end of 2020 with a cumulative jump of 39% from 2019 to 2021. You don't have to memorize or <laughs> would not expect you to remember all those numbers. 
Just know it's bad and getting worse. And again, it is our duty to disseminate it. Kind of an interesting, uh, I will say coda, because it's probably not the end of the story here. It's not the conclusion of the song. A coda is the suspended ending of the song. Um, to uh, talk, Prager and Kirk and others gave at ASU last week. We're going to check in with uh, our friend Professor Owen Anderson. Uh, interesting, the backlash he's generated against himself for standing up for free speech. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.